Good morning, Renaissance. Hi, my name is Amber, and I am a volunteer here, and I'll be reading this morning's scripture. Uh, we'll be reading Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, and you can follow along in your Bible or on the screens on either side of the stage. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Renaissance. Good to be here. My name is Aswan. I'm one of the pastors here. Excited to see all you made it out in the rain. Uh, for the last 12 years or so, um, been working with the organization called Young Life, and Shout out to Young Life, no doubt. <clears throat> and uh, over my time, there's been a lot of joys, there's been a lot of tears, a lot of frustrations, uh, a lot of fears, a lot of good moments, a lot of bad moments. And uh, there's one story in particular that has all those uh, wrapped up in it. I was working with a young man. Him and I had become really close at this point. Uh, he was about 20 or so. By the, we've been kind of working together for the last maybe five years or so, and he was 20, and he kind of felt like he needed to spread his wings and fly away for all my troop fans. I don't know if y'all know that reference, but, uh, and he wanted some space. He wanted to kind of become a man, so I gave him that. Um, he was tired of people calling me for him, and so he goes out kind of doing his own thing, and he meets this young lady. She's kind of cute, has her own apartment. Uh, their backgrounds are pretty similar, and so uh, they start dating, and slowly but surely, it goes from one bag over there to, like, he lives there now. Uh, and then pretty soon after that, I think he starts, like, paying rent. He starts buying dishes. He starts doing stuff I don't even know. Like, I've never seen him do before. He starts buying curtains. Like, he's about to, he's trying to decorate. Gets crazy. This is really an official thing, so I have to respect it. I get a call from him one day. I'm getting off the train. I get a call. He's like, yo, there's dudes out here trying to jump me. I was like, what? And, and jump means like a gang of people are going to beat him up. <laughs> Just making sure. Uh, they would, they, he's like, there's dudes out here going to jump me. I'm like, yo, where are you at? He tells me where he's at. Um, and he was at her apartment, stuck in the projects. Uh, and these dudes were surrounding the project building. And so I had been working in ministry for some time. So um, I... I won. I don't, I don't know what you think I was going to do, right? I'm going to tell you what I did, but I don't know what you think I was going to do. One, A, maybe I probably should have stopped and prayed, right, Sam? I should have thought about the Lord and said, Lord, take the wheel. I need you in this situation, but I did not do that. B, uh, maybe I would call the authorities and say, and trust the authorities and say, you guys handle this situation. We're not doing that, Okay. That didn't happen. I did see that Brooklyn came out, we formed a small militia, and we went to get them. <laughs> Bottom line. 
That's what we're going to do. My man is in trouble. We got to get him out of there. And we get over there, and thank God, nothing happens, all right? Nothing major happens. We, we, we get him. He comes out. We go back. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself the whole time, this could have went very different. This could have been a catastrophe, and I'm thankful to God. Seriously, I'm thankful to God that nothing happened, nothing major happened. But this story began to give me a different framework of of how to see God. See, throughout the Bible, we see this narrative (laughs) that that the people of God get themselves stuck, and they're stuck in these situations. And a lot of times, it's maybe from disobedience, but we, we see all throughout Scripture that God's people are stuck and in situations. But what happens? We, God doesn't turn his back on them. God doesn't leave them stuck in these situations. Why? Because God hears the cries of his people. God cares a, a, a great deal about the lives of his people, and God has a plan and a purpose to deliver them. And see, this morning, we're talking about Moses and the Israelites. And and this is not just uh, a history lesson. This is here to show us what God can do in our lives right now. See, this story of of Moses uh, freeing the Israelites is is designed to get us to see a little more clearer that God hears, that God cares, and God delivers. See, just like God used me to show up in a very small way in my boy's life, this Old Testament story is going to show us how the God of the universe shows up in a very big way to rescue us. So we heard Amber read our scripture this morning, and just a little context about our scripture this morning, um, it's that famous burning bush scene. Uh, where uh, Moses and God are having this dope exchange. Um, but, but before we go into the text, man, I want to I, I wanna sh- paint the picture of really where God's people were at this time. See, oftentimes we hear that it's hard to connect with Old Testament stories and maybe even the Bible for that matter because the cultural context is a little different. So I want to paint the picture of what's happening in, God, in the life of God's people at this time. Uh, So the story begins in the book of Exodus, and uh, the Israelites are descendants of Abraham. And all three major religions, Christianity, Islam, uh, Judaism, have some connection with Abraham. Abraham is really an important dude. And Abraham had all these sons. One of the sons he had was Jacob. And Jacob had a whole lot of kids as well. They were pretty fruitful in those days. Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And there, the nation of the people of Israel, the Israelites, was born. And our scripture this morning, uh, in the beginning of Exodus, we'll get to see exactly what was happening at the time. Listen to this in Exodus 1. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. I told you they were fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Now, a little more context. Um, uh, Abraham and his offsprings, were, they, were, they were in Egypt, and they had this favorable relationship with 
uh, Egypt and the king of Egypt at the time. Uh, but then that king died and a new king became, um, game, game, came into power. And this king cared nothing about Joseph and his daddy. He didn't care nothing about this situation. And listen to what happens to the nation of Israel under this new king. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The Israelites were slaves. They had no power. They were essentially stuck in this, this oppressive culture. Uh, they had <clears throat> no breaks. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was hot. It was, there was no shade. They had to do everything down to the T. The metrics of how they had to cut bricks uh, was down to the T. They had to complete every task that they were giving the way they were given it. They were whipped daily, multiple times a day. From sunup to sundown, they, had, they were stuck in this harsh labor. Could you imagine the hopelessness? Could you imagine being a teenage Israelite growing up and seeing that the next several years of your, your life was almost guaranteed that you would be serving in this, this, this harsh labor and your, uh, and your life would be bitter? The Bible tells us that the Egyptians made their lives bitter. I don't, I don't even know what that means, really. But I could imagine that wasn't good. Their lives, they were full, had, to, had to be filled with this harsh labor. But see, when we read these Old Testament stories, I want us to begin to practice this technique, and it's a technique called lingering. And it is exactly how it sounds. I, I want you to linger, to stay, to meditate, to, to deepen uh, your thought process around these Old Testament stories, uh, because when we linger, uh, we begin to develop empathy for the biblical characters. See, see, when we linger on this passage, we get to see how hopeless the nation of Israel had become. The Bible tells us that they had been in slavery for a couple hundred years. Man, I can't imagine what that would be like. And, and when we linger, um, I really believe God wants us to not just read the Bible, but experience it. And we begin to experience the Bible differently with the practice of lingering. But I want us to think about why this story is in the Bible. See, now if you're visiting with us, um, this is week three of our True and Better series where we are looking to find Jesus in the Old Testament. And since the Bible, uh, as it was written, there were some literary devices that were used. There was this uh, technique called foreshadowing uh, where they give us a hint of what is to come. And the story of Moses delivering people, his people, from slavery is a foreshadowing of Jesus delivering his people from sin and death. But you may ask, okay, why do we use the Old Testament to do that? Well, hey, here's another focus for us in this series. We want to drive the point home that the Bible is one complete narrative. All 66 books 
are one unified story pointing to Jesus. And how, and how do we know that? Well, Jesus himself, when Jesus quotes the Bible, he's quoting the Old Testament only. And then we also see uh, in the Gospels, there's a writer named Luke, and he gives us, this, uh, 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 he gives us uh, the ability to, to overhear a conversation that Jesus is happen, having with some dudes walking on the road. It's, it's found in Luke 24, uh, and it, Luke says this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. See, this story, the story of Moses uh, freeing and rescuing the Israelites is here. It's in the Bible to show us what the way forward looks like when you and I are hopeless. And, and I would imagine a room this size, there has to be something that has made you feel hopeless before. I mean, if we were to be really honest, maybe there are situations and things in our life right now that make us feel trapped and stuck. Maybe it's discouragement and disappointment. <laughs> Maybe in your life, uh, you hoped that something would go the way that you planned it, and it hasn't. That the things that you set up, that things that you worked hard for, that they would, they would actually pan out the way that you wanted them to, and they simply haven't. And, and discouragement and disappointment has seeped into your heart. I'm reminded of a time I was with my dad, and, and, and my dad wasn't the disciplinarian in the family. He was the talker, and so we would sit down, and we, we would have conversations, which was discipline in and of itself, uh, but I loved it. I mean, there were so many lessons before my dad passed, man. There's so many things that he taught me, and there's one thing I'll never forget. He said, yo, Aswan, there are some decisions that are irrevocable. Now, I was like 10 at the time, so I didn't know what irrevocable meant. But he explained to me that there, there will be times in your life where you make decisions that you can't get a do-over. And I would imagine there are some of us sitting here today, there are decisions that either we have made or have chosen not to make that have now uh, bound us. And we, are, we have so much disappointment and discouragement about those uh, situations, and we are sitting in hopelessness, if we were to be honest or, or maybe that's not it for you, and I want to be sensitive here. Uh, maybe it's a addiction or an addictive behavior. Maybe it's drugs or alcohol. And listen, these things are real, and, and we don't often talk about them in the church, and, and I'm not sure why we fear that. This is the place where we need to be talking about those things. It's real. It's happening. Maybe it's pornography. Man, I, I think about the stats the stats of how many Christian men and women are struggling in this arena is just astronomical. And my heart goes out because the 21st century version of Egyptian slave drivers could be pornographic images. And it's hard and it's lonely. And man, I remember even my battle uh, in, in sexual purity. I remember going to my boy's house and I had become a young, I was a, a very new uh, Christian, and I, I, and I said, God, I, I really want to do the right thing. I want to serve you, man. I'm, I'm ready to do this thing. I'm, I'm, I really am. But just as deep as that desire was, the, the depths of the desire of lust was, was still there, and it was conflicting with what I wanted. There was this war going on in my heart, and I remember sitting on the floor at my boy's crib, him and his wife. I was single at the time, and I literally started to tear 
I'm like, God, I cannot do this. And so I hear you. There is this level of hopelessness that comes from addictive behaviors or addiction. And maybe you're praying for someone who's in uh, uh, this situation, and I get it. It sounds and feels hopeless. But maybe it's not lust or those things. See, those of us, I don't want those of us who that's not the case to fall asleep. Maybe, maybe you're addicted to work. Maybe you're addicted to social media, or you're addicted to food, or you're addicted to the need for attention. Can we talk about it? And man, all of this can seep into our relationship with God where we begin to feel so hopeless. Why pray? Why go to God? For what? Nothing's going to change. The situation that I am in is never going to change and listen, if we were to be honest, we are not so far removed from the people of Israel. The nation of Israel, they too felt hopeless. And this is where we see the story. See, when you think about it, um, I'm sure uh, we can identify with them. And here is the theme that we see today, and we're going to talk about the theme is this, that God's people are stuck, whether they were stuck in slavery from their own disobedience at times, or maybe fast forward, you and I are, are stuck and, and bound by discouragement or, or, or um, disappointment or a, some addictive nature, what we see is that God never turns his back. That what we see is that God is still always present. Even if it seems silent, God is still present. We learn from this story that God hears, that God cares he deeply cares, and God has a plan and the power to deliver us. Exodus 3, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, God says to Moses, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring people to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And listen, this first point is really simple, but I do think it's profound. God hears. God hears the cries of his people. And I don't know where you are, but, and I don't know how this is going to land on you, but I'm telling you as sure as I'm standing here today that God hears the cries of his people. And remember, this story is not a history lesson it's designed to show us what God wants to do in our lives right now. And it's a very present thing that God hears the cries of his people. I want to read that verse again. It says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard the crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. And so it is very true that God hears, but 
there's also, I want to be considerate and very sensitive to some of us who are sitting in a room saying, well, Aswan, I don't believe God hears. I don't believe God hears my prayers because for a long time I've been praying and nothing has changed. Well, I don't want you to believe that lie because, again, this story is designed to help us see what God wants to say to us right now, and God is saying that he cares. And the way it came to me when I was uh, preparing this message, I was reminded of a time uh, where I was speaking at a residential treatment facility, and there was a boy, uh, a young dude in the front row, and um, he completely had his back to me almost. He never really paid attention, and I took it kind of personal, you know, I was like, yo, you know, a little bit. I was kind of took it personal. Um, But I had some time off the air with him in a separate setting, and I got to know him. And when I got to talk to him, he could regurgitate everything that I said for weeks. Like, yo, this dude was really paying attention. Um, And so the times when I went back to speak, I didn't take it personal. I actually was encouraged that even though he wasn't making eye contact, this dude was actually listening. And you know, when when I think about the person who says, well, I've been praying, I've, I've been crying out, and I don't think that God hears me. Man, I want you to hear this. Maybe we can change our proximity. Because God says, those who know me, they know that I hear their cries. And again, I don't know where you are in your journey, but I'm telling you, the closer you get to God, the louder your voice becomes to him. And my encouragement is for us to change our proximity. And as much as it sounds like Christian jargon, the truth is God hears the cry of his people, and the more we get to know him, the more we can trust he hears us. And so the Bible does a really good job of of helping us see um, the the prayers of people in ancient culture, over God's people over time. And, And I was reminded in preparation that the psalmist knew God in a very deep way. Listen to Psalm 116. I love the Lord. Man, if our prayers could just start there. I love the Lord because he has heard my appeal for mercy, because he has turned his ear to me. I will call out to him as long as I live. I remember being in the places where I was calling out to God. The ropes of death were wrapped around me, and the torments of Sheol overcame me. I I encountered trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is compassionate. The Lord guards the inexperienced. If you don't have it all together in your Christian walk, this is evidence right here. It says, the Lord guards the inexperienced. I was helpless. Those of us who have felt helpless and he saved me. Renaissance, God hears our prayers. God hears the cries of his people. And it doesn't mean that God is going to give us everything we want. It doesn't mean because the truth is he hears us that he's going to answer exactly the way we expect. But what we should hold on to, where we should anchor ourselves in our spiritual walk, is that yes, God does hear the cries of his people. And maybe this will help. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is a foreshadowing of us. And the Bible tells us that God hears the nation of Israel. And so we can trust that God hears us as well. 
Point two, God cares. Our scripture this morning is not meant to be a history lesson, but, what sh- what, but talk to us right here, right now. And what I want you to hear is God cares. Listen to the last part of verse 7. The beginning says, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Yo, can we be real? How many times do we feel that God is just not concerned with our situations? But man, this story is meant to tell us that God cares. Not only does God hear the cries of his people, but he cares. And as I was preparing uh, this message, I was, I was thinking about, um, man, God, the times that you showed up in my life and the times you showed me you care, what could I actually say? And it, I was reminded that there are constantly these lies uh, in, in, in life and in our lives that, that come and tell us that God doesn't care. The world is set up to get you and I to believe that we could live apart from God, that, that he doesn't care about us. For a long time as a, as a young uh, person trying to follow Jesus, I thought that my life was over here and I had to work really hard at it and God was over here and there was no bridge in between. And God didn't care about what I was doing and the stuff that made him mad, all I had to do was say is, yo, uh, I'm sorry, my bad. But no, God is deeply concerned about you and I and the situations that we're in. I'm reminded of Jesus having a conversation with his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. It says this, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Or about your body, what you will wear? Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? And Jesus is not saying here that, yo, don't don't like nice things and, and, and don't work out and uh, don't care about your, your, your life literally. He's saying that uh, the anxiety that it causes for you to just focus on those things is not what he wants you to do because God cares so much that he's going to give you the things that you actually need. It may not always be the things you want, but God is so concerned that he knows what you need and he's going to make sure he gets it to you. God cares for us. And here's the last point. This story is not a history lesson. It's meant to help us see that God hears, God cares, and God has a plan and the power to deliver us. Here is the good news. God does not just hear our cries, but he cares so much that he comes to deliver us. See, after this famous burning bush scene, God tells Moses to go tell the king to let the Israelites go. And when he doesn't, God tells Moses what's going to happen. And there's this series of plagues that happen. There's this power struggle, seemingly, going on between the king of Egypt and God. And after the 10th plague, this Pharaoh is completely overthrown. God completely wins the battle. 
And we said, this is not a history lesson, but an opportunity to see what God can do in our lives right here, right now. And after the 10th plague, ultimately, uh, what we get to see in the deliverance process of God's people is where uh, Moses, where Jesus becomes the true and better Moses. See, see, listen to the foreshadowing. We talked about that word foreshadowing. Listen to it uh, in verse 8. So I have come down to rescue them. John 1.14 says, um, the word became flesh. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. See, Jesus does it, it, the same way that Moses is delivering the people from slavery, Jesus is rescuing you and I and has rescued those of us who put our faith in him, has rescued us from the bondage of sin and death. Isaiah 53 says, says it like this, um, we all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And here's the reality of our situation. We need to be rescued we, like the Israelites, are in a situation that we cannot get out of. And so I have come down. God doesn't just sit in eternity and saying, okay, yo, I hear your prayers. Okay, I care about you. He, the ultimate act of that is that he puts on human nature and he steps down he, into human history on our behalf. Philippians says it like this. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Now, here's what I want us to see. Oftentimes, Christianity is ridiculed because this death on the cross scene could seem like weakness. But no, Jesus willingly gives his life. And in it, the power uh, that he has, he has now had the power to come in and change the situation for you and I. Uh, my wife and I were talking about this a little bit when we think about delivery, uh, and, and, and she gave me this image. She said, uh, think about the, what, what a delivery person does. They go, they take an order, they pick it up, and they physically carry it, and they bring it to another location. Well, man, I'm telling you that Jesus saw us in uh, the depths of our sin and our separation from him. He comes in, he takes the order, he picks us up. He holds us close to himself. He walks us across the chasm between us and God. Whew, and he drops us and he leaves us in the hands of God. That is ultimately the God who delivers. He not only hears, he not only cares, but he delivers us. And it, it reminded me of this scripture in Luke 11, listen to this story. See, uh, uh, Jesus at that time, he, at this time, uh, he was being accused of being the prince of demons. He had been doing his healing thing, and many of the religious folks were like, yo, how, you don't heal people because you're good. You heal people really because you're the ultimate evil. <laughs> how disrespectful, right? So, so this is Jesus' response. Listen to this in Luke 11. Knowing their thoughts, he told them, Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I drive out demons by Beelzebub, which is another name for Satan. Uh, and if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons 
drive them out. See, at the time, there were people who were also driving out demons. So, so Jesus is challenging them, like, well, who do you do? If you're the religious elite and there are people driving out demons, well, who are they driving out demons in the name of? For this reason, they will be your judges. Verse 20, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his estate, his possessions are secure. But when one stronger than he attacks and overpowers him, he takes from him all his weapons he trusted in and divides up his plunder. Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Yo, this story changed my life for absolute ever. The story is here to tell us that Jesus is the stronger man. And when I was sitting in the basement of somebody's house, uh, feeling bound by lust and all the things that uh, separated me from God, man, I was reminded that Jesus, the stronger man, busts down the door. He takes off the rope and he says, you are free. Man, and now the hope for those who put our faith in Jesus is that we would live out this freedom. Listen to how Paul says it in Galatians 5. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Man, if you're praying in your own seemingly hopeless situation or in your own uh, in situation that maybe you're praying for someone, I'm telling you, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so as I close, I, I want to say a couple things about this process of deliverance. And yes, it's a process. Delivery is a two-part process. See, and what I want us to know is that God does the heavy lifting. God and Jesus do the heavy lifting in this delivery process. Uh, there's a, a passage in Matthew. It says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is that saying? Jesus is saying, listen, uh, no matter what predicament you are in or what predicament you are praying for, I am the one who's going to carry all the heavy lifting in your life. You can bet on that. That performance treadmill, you don't have to get on it anymore. Man, I'm going to do the heavy lifting in your life. Uh, the hopelessness of that addictive pattern, man, I'm going to step in and do the heavy lifting in your life, because that's what Jesus was designed to do. Now, here's the second part. There's a part that we actually play in this. God does the heavy lifting, but it's up to you and I to actually take the things that we are bound by and give it to him. See, too many times we are actually uh, stuck and so engrossed with them that we rehearse them in our mind, that we actually live uh, not like we're free, but that we're bound and that we've not been set free. And God is saying, yo, drop that joint off for my burden is light. I'll do the heavy lifting. The part that I'm asking you to do, it may be a little uncomfortable, but I need you to leave it here. Here's the last thing I'll say. When Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt, if we fast forward, the Israelites are on the escape, and Pharaoh, the king, he's like, yo, what have I done? 
I need to go get these dudes back in slavery. So he puts his army together, and they go head out, and they're trying to get the Israelites back. And there will be times in your life, there are things that God has already freed you from. If we went around this room, there are people in here who, who have experienced this, this freedom uh, uh, being in a relationship with God, and we've experienced it. And there are going to be times in your life where the army comes back to try to keep you enslaved, where it, it's a full-on assault to get you back. And man, here's where we see God doing the heavy lifting. They get to the sea. Who the heck is going to be able to cross the sea? Well, the waters are parted, and God walks across. Man, Jesus is the parting of the sea, and where we walk across to new land, and we see God doing the heavy lifting there. But the Israelites are still coming. They're still coming. And man, what I want you to remember, just like we heard in this story, that Jesus is the stronger man. Greater is he who is in you than he who's in the world. And as the situations creep back, you can look at them with all power, knowing the stronger man is on your team and say, nah, I'm not going back that way anymore. And what happens? The water comes, floods the army. Your past has been erased. You are a new creature in Christ. We should live like it. That is my encouragement today. God hears the cries of his people. God is desperately concerned with you and everything happening in your life. And God has the plan and the power to deliver us. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for who you are and what you've done in our life. God, thank you that you are the true and better Moses, that you have delivered us from sin and death. God, encourage us. Help us live free. In Jesus' name, amen.